Welcome to Women on Wealth, a podcast by women for women. Our mission is to empower women to embrace the discussion around wealth, demystify finance and market-related topics, and break down the emotions that surround these decisions. Your host is Julina Ogilvy, Partner and Wealth Advisor with Principal Wealth Partners. She is a certified private wealth advisor and a certified investment management analyst with over 25 years of industry experience. Welcome, everyone. This is episode 63 of Women on Wealth. And today's topic is asking the question, is cash king? And what I mean by that is interest rates over the last couple of years have risen aggressively. It has created flows into money markets, which we'll talk about. And I think the question that arises from a lot of individuals is, why would I invest in stocks and bonds when I can get roughly 5% in money market, especially coming after a year where the stock and bond market were both down in unprecedented double digits. So to have this debate today, I have my colleague, Kyle Farrell, with me here today. Hi, Kyle. Hi, Julina. How are you? I'm good. So uh, Kyle is a chartered financial analyst. Uh, He is an analyst at our firm at Principal Wealth Partners. He focuses on the investment analysis for the firm. And he's also an integral part of our investment committee. Uh, We meet officially once a month to address issues in the economy, in the markets, and we use these conversations to decide how we are going to invest our clients going forward. So on a personal note, I will say Kyle just completed his first marathon. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So I guess to, to kick this off with me, and actually one quick note before we get started, For those that are listening, if you would like to view um, the slides that we are going to reference, uh, please feel free to go to my YouTube. It's relatively new. Please feel free to follow it, and you will be able to follow along if you would prefer to do that um, as well. So I guess, Kyle, to get going in the conversation, uh, I think we need to start with where interest rates have been, um, and if you can walk us through that, that would be great. Yeah, so let, let's start out with kind of a 40-year, 50-year zoom out, right? So I think to start, you know, you had in the 70s and 80s, Paul Volcker, the former Federal Reserve chairman, um, in order to combat very high inflation, um, he sort of started that first really large rate hiking cycle that we saw um, in recent memory. Um, since that point, right, peak in 1981, um, we've seen yields steadily decline over time. You know, we've had the dot-com bubble, which required stimulus. We had the great financial cr- crisis, which required stimulus, and that required a uh, looser monetary policy from the Federal Reserve. Um, and COVID, the same thing, right? The world just shut down. And so we've seen yields precipitously drop over time, over a long period of time. Now we've sort of entered the opposite regime, and we haven't entered this regime in a long time, where rates are now rising at a rapid rate. The Federal Reserve has raised rates tremendously. And for the first time in a long time, cash is giving something to investors, and it's finally a performing asset class. And it's great for those investors that are looking just to collect the income, but you know we haven't seen this in a long, long time. Yeah. You know, for years, I used to say that the bond market was not my father's or even my grandfather's market, right? Because to your point, you have to go all the way back to 1981. You're talking about 40 years 
of bonds moving almost in one direction. And so that's that's a tremendous amount of opportunity that we're going to that we're going to talk about going forward and and I think before we talk about the opportunity let's first talk about why they've raised interest rates so aggressively in the last couple of years. Yeah, so coming out of COVID in, in the past few years, um, you know, obviously with the world shutting down, no one's going to restaurants, nobody's going to the movie theater, right? We were all told we have to stay home uh, for, for the greater good, right? Now coming out of that environment, you have many, many consumers who wanted to, they wanted to travel, go see their family again, go abroad, go travel and see the world, go back to restaurants, right? Um, All of these different things that required a, a high demand for goods and services. That heightened demand created price pressure higher prices for for a short period of time. And that's why the Fed needed to step in to raise interest rates and kind of cool down the economy a little bit. Now that the Fed has kind of gotten close to their their target, um, we're in this environment today where inflation is significantly lower than what it was a year ago, but yields are still very high. So you actually have this uh, interesting dynamic where your dollar, right? Because really what inflation is, is, is how much you can stretch out a dollar, right? Yeah. Your dollar, you can actually stretch out your dollar further now because you're getting 5% while prices are only increasing at about 3.7%. So you're making more money and you're able to have more purchasing power uh, behind that. Okay, fair. And and Kyle, for, for maybe those especially that are watching the slides, there are two lines on this slide looking at inflation and both of them have come down. But but one is headline and one is core. And I think the media does a very poor job of explaining the difference between the two. But could you do that? Yeah. So headlines, headline inflation or headline CPI, however the media kind of frames it for you. Uh, headline is uh, uh, the entire basket, right? It includes food. It includes energy. It includes shelter, right? Your home price. Core inflation strips out the food and energy piece. And the reason why that's so important is because Think of your home as an asset, right? Uh, The price of your home typically doesn't change that often. It's slower moving and appreciates over a long period of time or can depreciate over a long period of time, depending on the environment. Food and energy, right? I, I like to think of it as when I'm driving into work and when I'm driving home from work. When I'm driving into work and I'm driving in on I-95, I see at the rest stop one price per gallon. And then when I'm coming home, it changes to another price. Exactly. Um, there's a lot of volatility with energy prices and with food prices. So sometimes it's easier to strip out those items and just give a more smooth measure. Okay. Yep, exactly. So so what you're saying is that the Fed actually follows more core CPI or inflation because it doesn't move around as much as headline. Yeah. However, it does strip out energy and food. Yeah. And when you think about it, right, it's nice to have a smoother measure, but at the same time, what are the two items that maybe affect uh, everybody in this country the most? It's gas prices and it's our food prices. Yeah. And I think that's important because a lot of times when people talk about inflation coming down, the reaction is, well, it doesn't really feel like it when I go to the food store or when I buy whatever item, when I travel, you know, airline tickets are ridiculous still. Yeah, you know, the classic one recently has been, you know, uh, oh my gosh, my my dozen eggs cost me $8 at the grocery store now. And I, you know, I it, it is a real thing. You know, you do see the, the sticker price, but um, those tend to correct themselves very quickly. Um, and we've seen that even in, in eggs and in, uh, in other food items as well. Right. 
It's just, it doesn't all happen at once. So thank you for going through that. We love instantaneous gratification, so I can't blame people. Exactly. So we've talked about the recent rise in interest rates and and the fact that, you know, we've had to address this inflation issue. So the big question, of course, is, well, where do we go from here? Because the media is already starting to talk about us reaching the end of a cycle. And again, this has been one of the most aggressive cycles in U.S. history. We've seen 11 rate rises over the last, call it, you know, almost two years. So can you walk us through the expectation at this point? And, you know, we're sitting here, by the way, in the fall of 2023 as we're recording this. Yeah, so I think what gets talked about a lot right now in the very short term is, oh my gosh, is they going to raise rates another 25 basis points? Yep. Let's zoom out from that a little bit. What is really going to happen? So if we have a two to three year sort of lens on this, even the Fed has come out and said, rates will be lower than what they are today. The market is pricing that in. The Federal Reserve has come out and said that. So, you know, when you think of it from a portfolio perspective, that doesn't necessarily bode well for cash going forward. If rates are coming down and yields are coming down, that means that your cash portion of your portfolio is going to be yielding less over time. So it's important to understand and have that longer perspective uh, when we talk about what opportunities arise uh, from this current current environment. Yes, I think that's a great point. However, the Fed is telling us they believe they are at towards the end of this cycle. The market is expecting it. And, and for anyone that is watching um, on the slides, if you look at the dotted lines, they're all directionally going down, I think, in a fairly aggressive way over the next year or two. Yeah, I mean, even the blue line uh, tends to be a little bit more aggressive, too. And that's what the Federal Reserve is is kind of speaking into existence, right? Uh, so okay. looking at that chart from this perspective, it makes sense to, to start thinking about the next allocation going forward. Yeah, I, mean, I think the one thing I would comment on as well is I've I've been following this chart for years is... Um, The market doesn't always agree with what the Fed says they're going to do. It is very interesting right now that they are in agreement over the next year or two. To your point, the disagreement is that the market doesn't believe they will cut as far as they say they will going into 2025. Right. And, you know, who's right in that instance? I, I can't say. Time will tell. And regardless of which direction it goes in 2025, all we know is that it's lower from here. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the the interesting point and in, in why we're having this conversation today is based on the opportunity that the Fed gave us in cash and in these money markets is that there's been a massive shift into them. And can you can you address that? Yeah. So this this is actually a really interesting topic. So what we what we've seen in the past year and a half is investors fleeing their fixed income portfolios and droves going into money market funds. And today where we stand, we have the highest level of money market fund assets out there in history. This is we've never seen anything like this. History. <laughs> I mean, literally, I mean, since we've been measuring it, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, almost Five and a half trillion dollars in money market is astounding, and it makes the money in cash in the in the financial crisis look minimal. Yeah, I mean, it almost makes it look like you know there was nothing back then, right? It's like it's it's insane, and you know, you think about well, what? Why is that? Why is that the case? Part of it is because of the opportunity with 
higher interest rates, right? People make can make 5% yeah. roughly on their cash. But the other side of it too is that as of today, you know, we're in October right now of 2023, we've had what most likely will be three consecutive years of drawdown in the bond market, which is another, you know, ridiculous statistic to put out there. I think it's interesting because investors, you know, are so fed up when they think about their fixed income sleeve of their portfolio, you know, investors are tired of seeing all of the drawdown and the volatility, right? When you think of the fixed income sleeve, it's supposed to be the steady portion of your portfolio, collect some income and maybe get a little bit of appreciation on your investment. Exactly. Um, Right now, what we've seen the past three years is almost like equity like drawdown in the bond market. So it has people rethinking how they allocate their money. Yeah. And I think that that's a great transition to talk about the opportunity that comes from these elevated levels. And before we transition and talk about the opportunity in bonds, I do want to address a a part of this page that I think is very important. Again, if people are watching, let me talk through it. But, you know, we're looking at elevated cash levels from the financial crisis and from the pandemic. And in both of those situations, and you look at the opportunity in stocks coming out of it, and the three-month return and six-month returns coming out of both of these crises was in the 40-50% range. This is not promissory, but it's hard not to look at the data and and think of the opportunity there as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really just speaking to opportunity everywhere, if you think about it. Yeah. And and for people that are sitting in money market, stocks may be too much of a step to go into in, in with the money that they have sitting there. So let's also talk about the opportunity that comes, you know, from the bonds. But I think before we do that, I think there's a misconception because people think that cash is safe, money markets are safe, but there is an element of volatility to it. So what is that? Yeah, so I think generally speaking, when when you hear the word volatility as it pertains to investing, the first thing that comes to mind, right, is price movement up and down, right? It, both good and bad. There's volatility. When you think of just investing in an individual stock, there's volatility upside and downside. Um, same thing with bonds. When it comes to volatility in cash, it's a little bit different. It's not necessarily that the amount of cash that you have sitting in a money market is going to somehow fluctuate, you know up from a dollar to a dollar 50 or something like that, right? Better not. It better not, right? That, then that's a big problem. But the, the the volatility that comes from money market is in the yield, what you yeah. get on a monthly distribution. Um, and so, you know, for anybody watching uh, at the YouTube video, when you look at this table, you see that, you know, whenever there's a drop in money market yields, whenever there's a drop in the federal funds rate, money market yields tend to follow that. So, you know, average yield drop that we, if we go back in history, average yield drops about 5%. And that eats into your cash return in your portfolio, right? It's great that this year, you know, in 2023, we're sitting, you know, as of month end of September, cash is up 3.7%, right? Right. Um, And that's great. But once yields start dropping, that's not going to happen anymore. You start getting down to 2%, 1%, maybe even a half a percent. You don't know. Where yields fall at the end of this, You know, again, nobody really knows. No one has a crystal ball. But what we do know is that once yields start drying up in money market, 
investors are going to have to go out and find another area to collect higher yields for a longer period of time. And I think maybe a couple comments just to be clear on the data. The data goes back to the 70s. And the the fall in yield, in other words, the starting date and the end date, is really not that long. It's it's usually within a year or two. And your comment about a 5% drop, that is a yield drop. That's not a percentage drop, correct? So our, our yield today is 5. The average yield drop going back to the 70s is 5. Yeah. Right? So just... I, th- I think that that's really, and again, we're not suggesting that that's exactly where it's going to go. We're just looking at historical data. The last time we saw a yield at 5% was 2007. I remember because my husband and I got married that year and we bought a six month CD at 5%. And if you're looking at the page that we're looking at, that ending yield was 0.04 the following year in 2008. Wow. Right. Yeah, I mean, so, it's just, it's incredible to look at that. And it, you're, you're right, it, it needs clarification. It's the yield drop that's important. It's not a drop in your price, right? If it's, you did a percentage drop, going from five to zero is pretty significant. <laughs> it's, it's very significant. And what are you happy with? Are you happy with getting 5% and then ending at 0.04%? No, I think most people would would say get me out of that and find me find me somewhere else where I can get maybe 4% or something relatively close. Most investors, you kind of get googly eyed and you fall in love with, you know, that higher yield. It's like, oh my exactly. goodness, you don't need to take any risk. And I'm just getting 5% just for sitting here. And just remember, it does dry up very quickly and in a very short period of time, regardless of where the ending yield is in this cycle, it's lower than what it is now. We as investors are always trying to be competitive with where we choose to put our assets. And so that money starts flowing elsewhere. So let's let's talk about, I, I mentioned briefly the opportunity in stocks, um, which we'll circle back with, but let's quickly talk about the bond market because that usually is that first next step when people are looking at, at their risk appetite, if that's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's natural to think, okay, Cash is yielding 5%. I can just sit here in cash in a money market fund and collect my 5%. When that starts drying up, well, where's the first area that you look as an investor to lock in higher yields? That's the fixed income market. This chart on here is showing what what we've said before is that we have now three consecutive years of drawdown in the bond market. And out of that comes not only attractive entry point, but also comes higher yields. And, you know, when you think of it from a perspective of the next step, the next phase, right? We talk about the next phase with the Fed going from rate hikes to a pause. This is almost like that next step for investors from cash to fixed income to then create that longer runway for your for your portfolio. Yeah. So, you know, we're looking at the years that we've seen drawdowns in bonds. And it's amazing that if you include 2023 as one of those years, and admittedly, we're not at the end of the year, but Going back to 1976, there have only been six years of drawdowns in bonds, and we, we've just experienced three of those. And so talk about an opportunity going forward. I think to take it one step further, we do have a chart that goes back to the 1920s, highlighting all of the years that the bond market was down, and then subsequently looking at the return after that, if you can walk through it. 
Yeah. So what's interesting is, you know, let's let's take 2023 out of the equation just because uh, the year's not over. If we just look from 2022 all the way back to 1926. There's only been 11 times, 11 years where the bond market has drawn down. So already right there, one year of drawdown in the bond market is fairly rare territory. When you start talking about two consecutive years of drawdown in the bond market, that's only happened two times in history since 1926. You had 1958-1959, The third time actually now is 2021 and 2022. But what's interesting is if 2023 finishes down, it'd be the first time in history that we've had three consecutive years of drawdown. It just yeah. shows the rare air and the rare environment that we're living in. Um, and that should make investors excited. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I want to be careful about how I say this, but there is an opportunity to receive equity-like return in bonds. And it is usually coming after these years um, where you've seen these drawdowns. So, and it may not be right away, but you when you know, when you look at those opportunities, one is this coming after these negative years. And then I would also say number two is coming off of interest rate peaks, which is the following, which is the following point. Yeah, we talk about this a lot with, uh, you know, investing in general. It's not necessarily timing the market. It's about time in the market. When it comes to bonds, uh, when it comes to the Federal Reserve, you're not trying to time necessarily when the Fed is going to ultimately say, yep, we're done. We've reached peak rates. We're going to pause and we're done hiking rates. Um, it's not necessarily waiting for that phrase to be used. It's really getting to the point of just making sure that it's relatively close, right? And I think we're at that point now where the Fed is getting pretty comfortable with, with where rates are right now. So being invested a little bit early and just having the patience and the time in the market will benefit over the longer term. I mean, even, you know, when you, when you look at a, a line chart like this, uh, what sticks out to me personally is when you look at a one-year return, even just two months after the last rate hike, your potential for return drops dramatically. Right. Um, I think that's that's really important when it comes when when we talk about why cash maybe isn't king at this present time. I think that's really important to the conversation. Yeah, I mean to to your point, this data goes back to the '90s, so we're looking at you know almost 30 years of data. You talk about an interest rate peak, and if you were not invested right away. The one-year average is a return of 12%. Again, there's that equity-like return. If you had waited just one year, all of a sudden that opportunity in the bond market falls to 6% um, or just under 6%. So that, that's that's a half of your opportunity is gone in that first year. And I think to your point, a lot of it is even in the first couple months. Yeah. And, and that's just talking about price return. I mean, that's right. not even talking about the fact that as an investor, you've missed out on so much income during that time too. So it's understanding that having that understanding and having that context is really, really important. Yeah. No, thank you. I think that's a great point. And just the last one that we wanted to make, and we we talked a little bit about this earlier, but we've been talking about bonds in general, but the bond market is much larger than the stock market in terms of opportunity, uh, opportunity set and different types of bonds you can own point is that the bond opportunity is across so many different areas of fixed income. And also, as we talked about earlier in the stock market, if you can address that. 
Yeah. So when you have a lot of money sitting in money market funds, once that opportunity in money market dries up, uh, a lot of that money is going to flow to different areas, right? We talked about the fixed income piece, the bond piece um, a lot in, in, in this uh, in this time. But the other side of it too, is that there's also an opportunity in, in the stock market potentially as well. The cash that's sitting on the sideline in money markets, that flow is almost like fuel for a fire. If you're, you know, at home, we're entering the winter time, right? In the Northeast, it's going to get freezing. If you have a fireplace at home, start yeah. the fire, start the flame is raging like crazy. But as that wood starts to burn, the paper, whatever you put in that fire, as it burns off, that flame gets, you know, smaller and smaller and less heat comes from it. Once you add another log to that fire, it's when that flame sort of rekindles and refires itself. It's almost a similar idea in, in fixed income markets and in the stock market. When cash moves around from, you know, uh, money market fund to bonds or from money market to stocks, that almost adds fuel, it adds growth opportunity in the markets, right? Yes. And so I think it's really important to understand that depending on your risk tolerance, um, there's opportunities across the spectrum. It's just a matter of finding the opportunity that suits your goals and, and needs. Exactly. No, I think that's a I think that's a great point. Thank you for saying that. And I guess I would also comment the investment committee that we both participate in here at the firm, we have been talking about this opportunity from interest rates for well over a year. Not that we not that we were thinking that interest rates were going to peak a year ago, but just anticipating that we were coming to this point. And so we've been talking about it, we've been addressing it to your point in client portfolios and every clients different and unique in their situation. It's just exciting to think that we're going to finally start to see the benefits of what we've been talking about so endlessly that we're starting to get a little nauseous about it. <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe maybe some of our clients are getting a little sick of hearing the same song and dance, but I mean in reality in these volatile markets that we've had over the past 2 years, 2 plus years, it's hard sometimes to remember the bigger picture. Yeah. And that's why it's so these conversations that we're having are, are really so important to help create that longer term mindset. It's coming. There, there are good things on the horizon, despite yeah. all the negative headlines that are out there. It's it just a matter of maintaining that long term horizon. Yep. And I think to your point about the long term horizon, I can't help but think about the marathon that you did. Right. And yeah. I, I run also, and it's all about the preparation. It's not about just planning for that first mile, but it's planning for that fifth mile, the 10th mile, the 26th mile. And, you know, every mile is a little bit different. And so this conversation, it's great that we've been able to get cash so attractive and our clients have certainly benefited from it as well. But again, this is the point that we need to start thinking longer term on, you know, the portfolios going forward and the opportunities that we can find there. Absolutely. Completely agree with that. So thank you, Kyle, very much for your insight. And um, this was fun. I hope you come back. <laughs> yeah, this was great. I thank you for having me on, Julie. And I, I, I'm more than happy to talk about this stuff. So uh, it's kind of my my own passion. So I, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I know it is. And I really appreciate it. Thank you. Please see the disclosures in the description of the podcast. This is not investment advice and should not be construed as such. Thank you for listening to Women on Wealth. By women, for women. 
Stay up to date by subscribing to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more, please visit www.julinaogilvie.com or join us on Facebook and LinkedIn.